Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Jasters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, great to be back with you. Is it great to be back with you? It is Monday, July 9th, 2018, episode 162 of the Anakin Florian podcast. What a weekend, Flo. What a time to be alive. Are you alive? I mean, I hope you made some money this weekend because (laughs) every time I turned on my TV, I'm lying actually because there was no FS1 in the hotel, but every time I turned on my TV, you're either doing a weigh-in show, a pre-fight show, a post-fight show, two fight cards. I've been there before. I only had the one show this weekend. How are you holding up? My apologies to everyone who had to see my face for <laughs> three, four, five consecutive days. Uh, you know, man, I survived. I survived Vegas. My voice is just holding on. Uh, but, man, it, it was worth it. Uh, what a weekend of fights. And, uh, m- my goodness, seeing our friend DC MMA, uh, you know, work it, work it in that fight against Tipe Miocic was uh, a thing of beauty, man. Unbelievable. And how about our Fox camera guys going single on you today? I like that, yeah. too, after a long weekend. They're, they wanted to zero in single. on the, tired, <laughs> yeah. the tiredness yeah. on my face. Yeah. Uh, so what a Monday morning to wake up if, if your name is Daniel Cormier, huh? Mm. I mean, absolutely incredible what this guy has accomplished. And anyone who knows him just knows how genuine he is. And they know that this really couldn't have happened to a more deserving guy. And I'm happy that he's going to be a very wealthy man, but I think more happy that he was able to realize this type of athletic accomplishment because clearly he was waiting to exhale and clearly his UFC light heavyweight championship that he defended three times uh, didn't scratch the itch the way this win did for him. It's amazing, man. DC, this is Stanford Daniel Cormier or double champ. Uh, Right now, this is one of the few guys... Uh, who have won a belt, um, who have won a second belt, and uh, even fewer that have done it at the exact same time, being the light heavyweight champ and, and the heavyweight champ now. Um, it, it's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, this was a fight for Daniel. It was all about legacy. It was all about martial arts, showing that the smaller man can go out there uh, and get the win. Now, obviously, he was a little bit heavier than Stipe Miocic, uh, but obviously it was clear that when they looked eye-to-eye, Stipe Miocic was the larger man. This is a a guy with a heavyweight bone structure, 6'4", a massive man, had the reach advantage as well on Daniel, and... uh, Man, uh, DC able to get it done, getting in on the inside, battling back from adversity. Stipe Miocic got off to a great start, and uh, DC was able to get the win. 
Yeah, Stipe certainly had some moments early on in the fight. The fight, of course, didn't last all that long. Final minute of the first round, DC by TKO. But in terms of the fight itself, Kenny, and the execution, I think among DC's foremost thoughts after the fact were, man, I could have been the greatest heavyweight of all time if I had just stuck to this and come, you know, come back to this division sooner. He left, obviously, because of Cain Velazquez. As far as the approach here, it seemed like everything they were trying to do as far as capitalizing on openings that Stipe historically has left, they were able to do here. I mean, D.C. called a shot with you on the weigh-in show. Yeah, and, and, and D.C. Uh, knew exactly what kind of fight he was taking here against Stipe Miocic. Mm-hmm. He loved his, uh, loved his chances uh, of getting this win here against Stipe. You look at what D.C. has done at light heavyweight, uh, and again, I think a lot of us knew this going into, going into it, but uh, he has faced more diverse fighters, more dangerous fighters in a lot of ways yeah. than Stipe Miocic. Uh, at heavyweight, you know, um, I, I think the guys are, are still very dangerous with their knockout power, with their size. Uh, but as far as skill, we know yeah. that the skill kind of lies in those lower weight classes. And DC having faced a guy like uh, a John Jones and Alexander Gustafson, um, uh, you know, Rumble twice. Rumble twice. Uh, a guy with heavyweight power and speed, uh, you know, those are guys that are going to prepare you for anything that you are going to see uh, in any fight. And I think that's why DC was so confident. DC was dropping a lot of his heavyweight sparring partners uh, right. leading up to this as well. Um, and when you fight a guy like DC, he, he always offers up that dilemma of, is he going to wrestle you or is he going to crack you with a shot on the inside? Um, and as DC was talking about, he is very dangerous. That uppercut uh, from that dirty boxing position when he has that collar tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time he mixed things up, landing that right hook right on the jaw against Stipe Miocic. And uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he is as a striker as well. I mean, he hits yes. extremely hard. And you add in, you know, uh, another... 20 pounds or so to that right. frame on fight night, you're in trouble, man. And how about just the natural athlete, right? I mean, watch this guy shoot a 15-footer on a basketball court. He got a full football scholarship to Louisiana State University and didn't take it because he wanted to wrestle. And as we set up at the end of the pay-per-view, Kenny, right, he lost the bronze medal match at the Olympic Games in 2004. He was unable to compete as an Olympian in 2008 despite being the captain of that mm-hmm. team. Did realize the UFC light heavyweight championship, but as you saw Saturday night, it seemed like the fact that maybe some of the public put an asterisk on that led to him putting one on it as well. So for him to break through at 39 years old and become the UFC heavyweight champion uh, and to do it this way, it's one of the singular biggest wins in UFC history. I would probably argue it's the biggest. I think you can argue Conor McGregor against Eddie Alvarez when he became a two-division champion is in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Conor was favored that night. I mean, you had to look far and wide to find anybody that was picking Eddie Alvarez stylistically in that matchup to beat Conor McGregor with all due respect. Um, DC just returned from a five-year hiatus at heavyweight and knocked out Stipe, who at least on paper uh, was the most accomplished UFC heavyweight champion of all time. So I don't know that there's any overstating how big this win is for DC. We talk about these performances, Kenny, by underdogs in a championship situation. I know DC had a belt here, but Rafael Dos Anjos against Anthony Pettis and and more recently, I guess, Rose Namajunas against Ioana Jacek. But for me, 
and, and sorry for trying to contextualize it, I guess, but this is this is as big as it gets for Daniel Cormier. Obviously, it couldn't happen to a better guy. And uh, I, I, I haven't really thought about much else, honestly, as we sit here almost 48 hours removed just because I'm so obsessed with, with the, the, the nature of what he was able to accomplish Saturday night. It really is remarkable what he was able to do and, and the fact that he did this against Stipe Miocic, um, who had established himself really as, as the greatest heavyweight of all time. So look at what DC has done. I mean, he just beat Stipe Miocic, and he did it by knockout in the very first round. Don't be deceived by how a, how a fighter looks you, you gotta look at how he moves i think that's the most important thing is how he yeah. is able to manage his movement um what he's capable of doing with his body not whether the guy has a six-pack or not and i think dc right. is that guy who really is a tremendous athlete and people sleep on him all the time they don't realize yep. how great this guy is and um, you know, after this performance against Stipe, uh, I mean, he he has established himself as one of, if not the best uh, competitor in UFC history. To win two belts and to do it at this in, in this fashion and to do it at 39 years old, crazy, it's amazing. Well, maybe he can fight with his shirt on. I was telling Joe Rogan after the fact. You saw, <laughs> rash you saw guard. Jamie, Jamie Moyle with the rash guard on, right, yeah. that, that first fight of the night. So I was telling Rogan in the back, I was like, I didn't realize you could go full rash guard. I might have to become a fighter, you know? <laughs> I was just afraid of going skins and shirts, you, you know? You can get a little makeup on, 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 the, uh, on the stomach there. Have a little yeah. makeup artist put right. some abs on there, a little give pecs. Me, so give yeah. me a six-pack. Yeah. Although my wife did get me a, a personal trainer for my 40th birthday. Oh, so, wow. Uh, so, no, I don't want abs, though. I don't want abs just like I don't want a gi. You know, I don't want to take this thing too far. I mean, I still, you know. No, then the girls start following you around. You get stalkers. Right, exactly. It's a problem. Right. As soon as I get abs, I'm going to want to go, never mind. Um, so so if you had to fight, to, to, if you had to beat in a mixed martial arts setting to save your dog's life this weekend, right. Stipe or Rumble Johnson, who would you rather face? Man. And I, I only bring it up in the context right. of everybody discrediting Daniel Cormier's light heavyweight legacy and those two wins over Anthony Rumble Johnson, which John Jones doesn't have. Because everybody, and I hate to sort of to, to beat a dead horse, Kenny, but John Jones never fought Rumble. And a lot of people thought maybe Rumble would be the guy to knock out John Jones. We right. never got that answer. To me, if there's one fight that I we never saw that I would like to have seen, that is the fight. And it didn't happen. Everybody's given Rumble the big chance, yet nobody cares that DC beat him twice because he didn't beat John Jones. To me, he's been in there twice with Rumble, and he's coming with those kicks and everything else that he brings to the table. Right. I just feel like I, I bring it up because you talk about DC's experience at light heavyweight, and those skilled guys and those fights, I think, were a huge feather in his cap this past Saturday night. Without a doubt. And and I think DC, knowing that Stipe Miocic isn't uh, the best kicker in the world, he doesn't throw a lot of high kicks. And I think that's where DC is most right. vulnerable. He can handle a guy who can hit hard. He can handle another wrestler. He can handle a good boxer. Um, and I think that's why he was so confident against Stipe, and he really did his homework. Um, again, when he was going for those collar ties, um, you have to worry about him either getting the underhook or him hitting you with a shot, whether it's an uppercut or a hook. He's so dangerous on the inside and off that break, and you have to respect the wrestling at all times. And you have to make a decision. You know, do you block the underhook? Uh, do you worry about his hands? And DC just kept pressuring. Once he stood his ground in the center of the octagon and he told Stipe that he was not going to get backed up, uh, right. it was just a completely different fight. Uh, and sometimes it takes a little bit uh, for DC to calibrate a little bit and get his rhythm going. Um, and, 
you know, when we interviewed him uh, up at the desk after the fight, he said, you know, when I got hit by Stipe, he said, I realized he does not hit that hard. I'm fine. Yeah. I, I, I can go out there and I, I, you know, I can move forward now. Uh, right. and, and once he did that, uh, man, he was able to get the win. All right, we're going to hammer every angle of this fight, obviously, over the course of the next hour or so. Uh, but we don't like to keep a good man waiting. Let's get to Raymond Peter Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. So Ken Flo was so turned off by the length of the 2017 UFC Hall of Fame ceremony that he did not carve out time Thursday night to watch your uh, speech. I'm very insulted. Very insulted. Very. We kept it brief <laughs> to the point, Ken. I was at a very important dinner. You know, it would have been rude for me to have my phone out there watching <laughs> exactly. Ray Longo. You had, to, you had to paint the bathroom. Hey, yeah. Let me just start off with winners and losers. Winners, obviously, D.C. Loser. Whoever the hell dressed Luke Rockhold? That guy's a loser. <laughs> what the? Kenny, come on. All that was going through oh, my mind was... Oh, man. What if it was his mom? Mind. What if it was his mom, Ray? Come on. Come on. I mean, what are we in? What was that? The Old Spice commercial? <laughs> I mean, I, that's all that was going through my head. What was oh, I looking at? Oh. I all he needed was a sailor's hat. What's what better, the comment? What's better, the comment or Ray's whistle? That is, that oh, is, yeah. that's oh, how good bro. is that? Can, Where's the I guitar? Dang. Go get oh, the guitar, a... Ray. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay here. Go get the guitar. Where's the guitar, Ray? That's it's good a, stuff. It's, it's right behind me, but not today. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> okay. get down to right. Ray's tag. No, what a great, I want to, I want to give a shout out to, uh... oh man, I want to give a shout out to Dominic Cruz. I thought he broke down that fight with DC. I mean, that was really, was a beautiful thing what he did in the clinch and that's off to DC. He's a great guy. Obviously, Stipe, I love him. Uh, I'm pulling for him. I hope he's all right. I think he's got a. I think he's got everything in perspective. He's having a baby. He's got a beautiful wife. So, you know, power to him for everything. Yeah. But uh, DC, really, man, that was that was impressive. I didn't think it was going to happen. And he's a very cerebral fighter. And that dirty boxing on the inside was phenomenal. I thought I could watch that crap all day long. So as a coach, when you look at a championship performance like this for D.C., what part of this deserves the most credit? Is it the execution? Is it just his ability to sort of rise to the occasion in, in a big spot? Uh, what is it about Daniel Cormier that, that comes away to you as being oh, most impressive? I mean, to me, I'm going to go a little different route. I mean, the guy's 39 years old. Yeah, there you he's go. He's a great analyst. He's got another job. I mean, he's fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world against a guy who's, you know, like, again, was the best heavyweight ever. He had the most title defenses, whatever he had. I mean, he's got other things going on. He's got a family. He's an analyst. He's 39 years old. That's the things that, you know, that guy loves to fight, man. That's a guy that's very comfortable in there. He's cerebral and, I, I, that that's really what what really impresses me about him, man. Look, it's just he's how articulate he is after the fight, before the fight. Just a good dude. I think Dana did a great job. He's he's a, he's great for the organization. He's a great ambassador, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's easy when you're looking at forty. I swear to God, I don't really, yeah. I can't believe that could be easy. But you know, he's been able to, uh, you know. Staying, not, not, I don't want to say, I mean, he's just, I don't think he's had that many injuries. I mean, he looks like he, 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 
he's been able to stay the course in a really, really brutal sport and great competition. And yeah, I just, uh, I, I can't say enough about that, man. I, I'm really impressed with what he did and, and kind of, you know, I thought Stipe looked like he was going to be a little too much from the first couple of minutes, but man, he just weathered whatever it was. And that dirty boxing was, was beautiful. Oof. Ray, where do you put him in the conversation now? Because he was one of the greatest before. He just beat the greatest heavyweight of all time. You have guys like George St. Pierre who have won two uh, two belts, two different weight classes. Um, you have you have the very skillful Demetrius Johnson who's been unbeatable at his weight class. Uh, B.J. Penn did it. Conor McGregor did it. Um, you know, Randy Couture. Where where would you put him as one of the greatest of all time? I put him ahead of all those guys you mentioned. I wow. really do. I, I, I really do. I, I, because I think, you know, the other guy, I mean, Connor, right. I think Connor, what he did with the, with talking and selling the fights is phenomenal. You're not going to beat that, that, that he can't beat. He'll never beat that. But this guy fought so many other guys and he's proven it. His consistency has been there. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I think George was around, uh, St. Pierre would be a tough one because I think he, uh, you know, we, we, here's the difference. I mean, St. Pierre beat Bisping, but he's not going to fight at 85 again. And we know yeah. there's a lot of guys at 85 would be a horrible matchup. I believe DC could fight anybody in the heavyweight or, you know, light heavyweight. And I don't care who it is. Yeah. So I think for that reason, he's 100% at the top of the list. And, you know, when John Jones test him positive, throw that guy right out of the conversation. I say DC, and I hope he, he feels this in his head. He he's probably the best guy ever. I mean, just for that reason, I, he could beat anybody in in any way in those two weight divisions. Where I think George did beat Bisbing, but Michael was at the end of his career, and I love Bisbing, but I think Mike was looking to get out. You know what I mean? And uh, how many other those he, like how many of those middleweights is George going to beat? I don't think that would have been a smart thing. You know what right. I mean? So I think DC's a totally different animal, if you're asking me. All right, so if John Jones is able to come back and whatever happens with that previous test is gone, whatever, uh, if he's back into the UFC fold, does a fight between DC and John Jones interest you? Because I think that's where DC, if DC is going to beat John Jones, in my opinion, I think it's going to be at heavyweight. Exactly. I'm going to agree with you on that. And look, let's face it, man. And again, to DC's credit, and this is what you have to love about the guy. He was a heavyweight. He dropped down because of his relationship with Kane. I mean, that alone, I think, for me, and I'm weird. You know what I mean? I, I like loyalty. I like You are fucking stuff. weird. You, you know <laughs> what I mean? So because what he even did, the you know selflessness of what he did for his buddy Kane to take the spotlight, and that might have been his natural weight class. Mm -hmm. And then he went down to 205, and he fought arguably, again, the best guy <laughs> Ever with John Jones, I, I don't know. I think I, I agree with you. I'd like to see that fight at heavyweight where DC belonged. But again, because of letting his friend shine, he went down to 205 and had a great, great fights at 205. Just couldn't get past one guy who obviously was a cheater. So, I mean, it's hard to, I don't even want to put him in the conversation really. But at, at heavyweight, I'd like to, I would like to see that fight and I'd love to see DC you know, redeem himself, not even redeem himself, because I don't even like to talk like that, because 
you know, we know what the situation was with the other thing. But, you know, time is running out for D.C. I mean, I can't say. I mean, that fight's not going to yeah. happen before he's 40. Yeah, I mean, he says he wants to retire by March of next year, right before his 40th yeah, birthday. Right. By so the time if they can make it happen, fine, because he looked like, you know, he looked like he's still ready to go, and he he was he was on point last the, uh, the other night. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd love to see the fight. I agree with you. That's where D.C.'s most comfortable, obviously. Um but, yeah, I think that guy is – you can't say enough good things. And if you really break it down on paper, I think you would – I think you everybody would agree with me on that. Yeah, and we're going to hit on that a little bit more later in the program. I promise we will also get to Brock Lesnar as well. Um, but as far as Stipe Miocic is, is concerned, Ray, and, and you obviously know him better than you know DC in this equation, you know, he came in as the longest-standing UFC heavyweight champion, at least in terms of title defenses, if not actual days, and most considered him the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, if not at least the most accomplished. This is obviously a big blow to his legacy. How quickly do you think he can get back into a championship situation? Um, it, I think it's going to be at least two wins for Stipe. Yeah, I look, I think he could get back in there quick. Will the UFC allow him to get back in there quick? And I don't think I think yeah. they're going to make I think they're going to make it very hard for him to get back in there. But huh. I think if you're asking me, can he get back in there? Yeah, I think he goes right back to the drawing board. I think he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. He's going to go home. He's going to enjoy the birth of his first kid. Uh, I believe it's his first kid, and he's going to chill out. And he's going to be right back in the gym. I think he's got his priorities straight, and. Uh, you know, he took one shot in the clinch, and 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 not for nothing, man. You know, I think he I, I, he was definitely out, but I think he was all right. I don't think that's going to be a, a long term thing. But those, it was the punches after that really put the nail yeah. in the coffin. In DC, man, great killer instinct. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, he finished that fight the way you're supposed to finish a freaking fight, man. So right. if he does, if he waits one second longer, that guy recovers completely. I think. Yeah. So obviously last week on the Chris Weidman front, it was brought to our attention that Robert Whitaker wanted to face him in November at the show uh, at Madison Square Garden, UFC 230, I think it is. But promotionally, they're going in a different direction. They're doing the ultimate fighter with Gastelum and Robert Whitaker, and then they'll fight thereafter. So uh, what do you think for Chris at this point? It's not going to be a championship fight. I know he wants to get back in there uh, and not waste time. He got called out by Boashinia this weekend. I actually turned down the Paolo Costa fight for you guys, though. I respectfully declined that fight for you guys, so you don't have to worry. If that, if that guy's all natural, <laughs> first off, I mean, I don't know, then I don't even know what I'm looking at. There was a picture of that guy's bicep like on Instagram of him throwing a hook, that's just not a natural bicep. Listen, me yeah. and Bahashinya have similar body types. I was all natural, Ray. <laughs> I thought you'd tell you. That's right. So I it's possible. You. It's possible. But, uh, look, I thought Uriah Hall did, had a great fight with him, man. And if he would have just stuck to the jab and stayed with that, he he was he was he could have won that fight, you know. But the other guy is a beast. And, uh, you know, if he's, if he's clean and he gets – he keeps going, he'll have a great future, that kid. And he seems like a nice guy, so – but, yeah, I think that right now, Chris, I think that fight's at the end of November, so they might make him an alternate to wait to see if somebody gets injured. He could always step Ooh, in. And I, I like think that. That's gonna, Way that's in. Probably gonna, Alexander that's Volkov probably, style. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to be the route at this point because it's everything. The timing is pretty close to when he would be fighting anyway. So right. that might not be a bad option. And then if that doesn't happen, he'll probably fight, like, immediately in December, like earlier, yeah. you know, something like that. The alternate angle makes a lot of sense. My prediction is, though, and I could be wrong, 
I think that they might offer you that Paulo Costa fight for November. We'll see. We'll see how oh, it well, plays it out. Could be. Yeah, I could see that. We'll see. All right. Hey, I've been wrong before. I've been wrong a lot, right? All right. Uh, last all, thing. Hall of Fame right. ceremony. Uh, your buddy Matt Sarah, congratulations to him. He was going to come on the podcast today, but he didn't pick up his phone. He uh, he got he went off the rails a little bit during the speech. I know it was a tough act for him to follow after you went up there and just lit the <laughs> arena on fire. Um, but overall, how'd it go down for you guys this weekend for those that, that weren't watching on Fight Pass? Oh man, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a great night. Look, it was a real big honor for me. I watched this kid, you know, go from a a boy to a man, a man to a father. You know what the saying is. I really watched right. this guy grow up and become an entrepreneur, a TV personality, radio guy. I mean, he's just a good dude uh, who shows. I think he. Like, again, he really did pave the way for all future Long Island fighters to dream big and go after your goals. And I think that alone is worth a lot. You know what I mean? Give it yeah. everybody on the island hope. Look at what this guy's done, man. This is great stuff. And, you know, he got off to a rocky start with, uh, you know, losing to uh, Shoney Carter. And, again, one of the things I left out was even after that loss, and he had a look at that loss forever, and that was a pretty brutal knockout. But when he coached him on the show, Kenny, I mean, he coached that guy like he was his own student with yeah. passion, enthusiastic, really wanted the best for Shoney, even though they were competing against each other. And then he went on to beat Shoney after that on the show, which is remarkable in itself. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about the guy. He really, the negativity he had to go through to win that title and everybody doubting him. And, you know, he told the story about, you know, he was, waiting to do a show and he heard the the, pro, the production people talking about the fight after him already happening in, in Canada. He's like, dude, hey, I didn't even fight <laughs> yet. Like you're, I mean, it was that bad. And yeah. there was one thing wow. I left out that I'll share only with the Anakin Florian podcast. But I, I, one thing I left out, I mean, there was one night he sends me a cartoon picture and the cartoon picture was the only way Matt Serra could win. It was when, him and St. Pierre were touching gloves and the Jumbotron fell on St. Pierre and killed him immediately. <laughs> and that was, he goes, what the fuck? What the fuck is this? Yeah. I go, yeah, it's pretty obvious. They think you suck and you have no chance of winning. I mean, what do you mean? What is it? I mean, that's, that's how bad it was, Kenny. I mean, Man. he didn't get any respect anywhere. And I, if I tell you, I swear to God, I knew he was winning that fight. I'm telling you from Amazing. the bottom of my heart, you know, it was, it was just crazy. And, I don't know who it said, but nothing great ever happens without enthusiasm, man. Well, we yeah, enthusiastic yeah. about that fight, man. And I at the relaxation and we, we could go on. I, I really want to start posting stuff on, on Instagram. The stories just surrounding that fight alone. I I, I talked for fifteen minutes. Not that I wasn't nervous, I mean, but I yeah. had fifteen yeah. minutes of material that I had to cut down to five minutes, but it, it, it's it was amazing. a different different point in time, and it was a it was just amazing what that guy did. And George at the time was considered unbeatable. So, yeah, I, I don't know. They'll, it could never be almost replaced. I mean, I think even for the two guys, even for Chris Weidman beating Anderson Silva, nobody's ever going to do that. For the one reason is that I don't even think there's going to be two guys that dominant in the sport again that right. people could beat. You know what I mean? So it's going to take it's going to take a lot to really replicate what happened and. And you were back there, Kenny, with St. Pierre at that time. I mean, that was a huge, huge upset, man. It really was. And yeah. And what he had to go through to get there, the negativity. And I remember doing, like, the countdown special and going, hey, Matt's a little harder to hit than you think. The camera guy starts laughing. Kenny, guy's laughing. <laughs> at 
I'm like, you guys, you guys, you can't man. be serious. Like that nobody gave this guy. A it's a, it's a real life Rocky story, man. It, it really, really is. is. It's used it all the really time, is. but that it legitimately, uh, and I, you know, and, and the manner in which he did it, you know. And I really, I really, and I promise I have to get a, I really want to write a book about that because it's not a book about the fight. It's just a book about friendship. And I mean, it's hard enough to stay friends with a guy for 25 years. That alone is a, is a problem. Just what, you know, when he lost his first fight in the UFC, could have got rid of me, but he, we believed in each other. We kept pushing forward and he got dropped from the UFC. He was back in the UFC, he gets the comeback space. Crazy. It's just, it's insane what and he did. So he, he deserves it. It was an honor for me to present that speech and all good stuff. And you might want to turn that book into a screenplay, man. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's a great story. It really is. Yep. Really well, just speech. about friendship and loyalty and a lot of I – mean, next week we tell another story because there's a couple of things that really they made me cut out of the speech that, that should have been in there that really show you who this guy is, man. Well, that speech can be the foundation for the book. But as I as I said, what I introduced you, it's the upset against which all UFC upsets will heretofore be compared. You know, that's yeah, the one. Exactly. It was amazing. The Jumbotron fell. It clipped George's ankle. Matt followed up with the left hand. And, <laughs> you know, unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and even if, only... if no, I, I'm just yeah. kidding. No, um, no, was... So if somebody, I got to let you go. We're way over the clock. But if if somebody wants to meet you, like, is it just as simple as walking into Longo Weidman MMA, or is there do, do they have to be vetted? Is there a screening process? We have metal <laughs> detectors. Like, could someone just listen to this show, know about the time we tape it, and and barge right in and and, and right. shake that tan hand of hand of yours? Unfortunately, John, you're absolutely correct. All the wow. The door, they I'm better not go to the office though. That's where I. I draw the line <laughs> no going to the I'm office chained, i'm chained to this place so yeah <laughs> it's real easy just come down to the gym and i guarantee you a couple of laughs all right well thank you for your extended time thank you for not using the word retard this week ray we appreciate that very good yeah you got we got to go over what's politically correct i'm very upset i'm sending you a list you know yeah i'm very uh, upset over this uh politically correctness i think uh, yeah it's we should be able to really say things and have a laugh. And, I know. I know. You know Ray called me this morning, Kenny. He's uh. like, can I say this on the show? I said, no, you can't say that on the show. <laughs> yeah. I have, yeah. I have, you got to send him a list. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Kenny what it, tell Kenny what it was when we get off the air. I will. I will. All right. Have a good week, man. All right, guys, Thank you. Take it easy. You're man. the man, Ray. Thanks. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. I mean, unbelievable. The words that this guy's asking me if he can say in 2018. And I think these are words that in oh, 1998 you, you would be saying on a podcast or right. that maybe you could say on the Joe Rogan experience. I don't know. But this is the Anakin Florian podcast and support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments. This happened to me. It can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. So here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up in that time, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. So either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage 
lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Anik. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and mlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. So after this fight between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic, and man, this clock is going quickly today. We haven't even touched on Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, never mind Brock Lesnar. But you tweeted after the DC Stipe fight, Kenny, that that Stipe easily could have been the one to land the shot. And I think part of this tweet was certainly trying to make Stipe feel good. And, and, and I appreciate the value of your tweet beyond that. I guess I'm bringing it up in the context of how competitive you think this fight would be if they fought 10 times because certainly Stipe had moments early and DC's chin held up when he landed those power shots but I sort of feel like DC is the better MMA fighter is the superior athlete and if they fought 10 times that that maybe Cormier would win seven or eight of those fights am I out of my mind listen I I think DC has seen uh better competition uh, he's seen more skillful competitors over the course of his career, um, and, and he certainly has the edge there with his wrestling. Does he hit as hard as Stipe, though? Um, I think he proved that, yes, he does. I mean, he's got heavyweight power, which was kind of surprising. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to hit as hard as uh, a guy like Stipe. He did take his shots. He felt like, you know, Stipe didn't really hurt him with any of those, but uh, Stipe was definitely muscling him around the octagon to start that fight, no doubt about it. Um, I do think Stipe could win that fight. Listen, it's a heavyweight fight with four-ounce gloves. Anything can happen. He wasn't able to clip DC. Do I think DC's the better fighter? Well, he proved it on Saturday night. Um, uh, I think anytime you get a heavyweight fight, I think a guy you know is always going to be capable of knocking out the other guy when they're swinging leather. Uh, Stipe is very skillful. Um, I think DC would win. DC would win the majority of those ten fights. Yes. Yeah. All right. So in terms of DC's all-time status, I promised a lot of people that I wouldn't go too deep on, on the greatest of all-time conversation. And even though I like to speak in absolutes, it's not that I love this GOAT conversation. Um, But one thing I think we can all agree on, Kenny, if you are choosing to have that conversation as you briefly had with Ray Longo, and it's July 9th, 2018, you can't have that conversation without mentioning Demetrius Johnson, George St. Pierre, and now Daniel Cormier. If you want to mention John Jones and Anderson Silva, despite the transgressions, that is fine with me. I'm not given you which way I'm thinking in these five. The point is, is that last week on this podcast, if we were having that conversation, DC was not in it. And I don't know how you could have that conversation now based upon what he's done and not include him in it, if not start the conversation with him. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it, it's incredible what, what, he, what he accomplished on Saturday night. It comes down to your definition of what you think the greatest of all time is and what you're exactly. looking for. Um, you know, are you looking for skill? Are you looking for uh, how they're capable of winning a fight? You're probably looking towards guys like uh, Demetrius Johnson. Um, If you're looking at, uh, you know, competitors, uh, you know, battling back from adversity, uh, you're probably looking at guys like a Daniel Cormier. Uh, You know, are you looking for guys who are kind of the pioneers or leading into what the modern mixed martial arts fighter would look like? You're looking at a guy like George St. Pierre. Uh, Consistency, you know, quality of competition. Um, DC and George St. Pierre both have that. Demetrius might not. So, again, there's a lot to that conversation. DC certainly put put himself in that conversation of of who the greatest of all time is. Uh, And and the fact that he's able to do this at 39 years old, it's incredible. 
And I do think the most likely scenario for DC is two fights, and one of them will happen after his 40th birthday, which is March 20th, 1979. I know in a perfect world he'd get it in before his 40th birthday, but I think what's going to happen is he'll have one more maybe late this year, uh, and then the Brock Lesnar fight to close the show, or he'll just wait on the Lesnar fight, and that will delay um, that second and last fight for DC. You think that's pretty accurate, Flo? Yeah, I, listen, I don't know if he takes a fight before Brock Lesnar. No, yeah, right, and you know, in which I, case he'd have to wait till next year. Right, yeah, exactly, because uh, I, I guess there's some talk about, you know, obviously Brock would have to be in the USADA testing pool for a period six of months. time. Uh, yeah, six months is what DC told us as well. So, yeah, um, that that puts you into next year, and then, you know, can he get another fight in the meantime? I'm not sure. Right. And I don't know if he even wants that. I don't think a rematch against Alexander Gustafson makes sense. No. Uh, that's the other guy at 205 pounds. Wouldn't that, do that before Brock. No, absolutely not. And it doesn't make sense. That's not a, a big money fight really anyway compared to a guy like Brock Lesnar um, or John Jones. So yeah. I think those are the two guys left that I think really make sense for D.C. Right. And I'm sure for D.C., those are the two guys that, that he would fight. Yeah, I would be stunned to see him fight. Alexander Gustafson again at this point I would be stunned to see him cut to 205 pounds and defend that title despite what he said yeah. Saturday night I think it's two fights to your point one against Brock Lesnar and one against John Jones and the Lesnar one will probably be the first shoe to drop and, and what's not really being talked about now is what happens to that light heavyweight belt does he does he now have to uh vacate that belt yeah like, he'll like Connor did yeah which I don't think he cares about, you know. Right. Um, he got it back, defended it again, right? And I don't think he's in any great rush to weigh 205 pounds again in his lifetime. Right. You know? Um, so in terms of the Brock Lesnar stuff, I can assure our audience this was not scripted. If it was, one of our producers, who shall remain nameless, would have told us before the time that he did uh, that Lesnar was coming, right? And we did find out a couple hours before Brock was there. But there was nothing scripted about it. And, Kenny, uh, anybody who knows Daniel Cormier – Anybody who's a fan of this sport knows that even if Brock was nowhere to be found and not in the building, that your boy DC was calling Brock Lesnar out if he beat Stipe regardless. So right. Brock's appearance there, which we will get to, um, happened. But DC, Brock Lesnar was going to be the name on the tip of his tongue if he beat Stipe anyway, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, that's a fight he, he's wanted for, for a while, and he's talked about that Uh DC, as a lot of people know, is a pro wrestling fan. I think that's what kind of threw everybody for a loop was the fact that Daniel was kind of uh, giggling a little bit out there, and I think Brock was as well, saying, hey, I'm right here, and, and DC, I'm not sure, really believed what was going on at the time. It yeah. was kind of chuckling at the idea of like, wow, I'm, I'm actually going to fight Brock Lesnar. I could actually fight this guy. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what kind of made it a little funny. But, um, yeah, they, these guys uh, definitely do want to fight. DC was not happy about being pushed in there, and he almost went right across the octagon. Yeah. Um, so I love that fight, man. I, I love that fight. And, again, it'd be another beautiful demonstration of what mixed martial arts is all about. Uh, can DC beat a monster of a man in Brock Lesnar, a guy with a, uh, a wrestling background and, and definitely a guy who can knock you out with one shot. So uh, I'm fascinated with that fight. I, again, I give DC the edge there just based on his uh, immense amount of mixed martial arts experience and his ability to wrestle. Uh, we remember what Cain Velasquez was able to do uh, you know, against Brock and um, but still, it's a fascinating fight nonetheless, uh, and, and I hope it happens. 
DC's MMA dream sequence, other than beating John Jones, was always to have this fight against Brock Lesnar. I mean, Cormier is a massive WWE fan, probably yeah. the biggest pro wrestling fan on the roster. So even though he was maybe surprised to get shoved with that type of force behind it, right, um, which maybe went a little bit further down that pro wrestling road than a lot of people would like, um, but Cormier had to be pinching himself, man. I mean, this yeah. is the fight that he's always wanted. His eyes turned green as this thing was going down, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, and I know we're both happy that our friend is going to be a very, very wealthy man. So uh, good on Daniel Cormier for that. What a crazy weekend and 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 happy. I know we both were to, to be a small part of it. Uh, we were not thrilled to be a part of Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis, incidentally. And sometimes these heavyweight fights that you think are going to end in a blink end up going 15 minutes. There's a lot of history that suggests that. But, Kenny, relative to the expectations going into this co-main event, you can argue this was the worst fight in UFC history. Maybe we've seen worse in terms of skill level or fighters that don't belong on the UFC roster. But based upon what people thought this fight was going to be and how it turned out, you can argue this was the worst 15-minute display in UFC history. Uh, you can definitely make that <laughs> argument. Uh, it, just no action, man. There, there were no strikes really thrown, let alone, let alone landed. And um, I, I was just uh, really confused because both of these guys – um, I, I thought were made for each other. I, in my opinion, as far as making an exciting fight, both those guys with crazy knockout power, they've always fought with a fearless attitude. Uh, and, you know, the big hesitation, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, was Francis coming off that loss against Stipe, how that was going to affect him. Well, you know, Francis, I guess, tweeted, I don't know if it was yesterday or today, uh, about how that fear from that last fight against Stipe Miocic really was carried over into that fight against Derek Lewis. He was afraid to really pull the trigger. There was a lot of analysis going on. Uh, both those guys and, and all heavyweights really in general, as we found out from Daniel Cormier, are going to be dangerous in the pocket, period. Um, and I think those guys were just way too afraid to get in there and trade. Uh, even Derek Lewis, the shots that he was throwing were leg kicks from the outside, uh, didn't want to risk it. And uh, But at least he was fighting a little bit more uh, than Francis Ngannou. There's no doubt right. that Derek Lewis deserved that win. Um, you know, I think Francis is going to be looking back at that fight and scratching his head going, what, what was I thinking here? Well, he's going to have a lot of pressure on him when he returns, and he did offer up an extended statement um, expressing his remorse, and a lot of people, MMA authorities, sort of are trying to support him, and I think we all should. I mean, fighters have been there before, and certainly those non-athletes like me out there aren't going to be levying too much criticism when it comes to this performance but uh it's pretty tricky right i mean you get this type of showcase and that fight ends up the result uh and the crowd does the wave right i can't ever remember um the crowd doing the wave at a ufc live event so yeah. forgettable for sure uh between those two and i did i did reference the constantina roke and gabriel gonzaga fight it was december 11th of 2015 um if you really like self-punishment you want to go to ufc fight pass check out Eroken Gonzaga from December of 2015 and tell me uh, if you think it was more entertaining than Ngannou and Lewis. How about Anthony Showtime Pettis, Kenny? I think this was one of the best stories of the night, okay? This guy is no longer traveling three days a week to Chicago for Izzy-style wrestling practice, right? Because he can't be a wrestler at this point of his mixed martial arts career. And it's not that he trains no wrestling, right? But he needed to get back to what brought him here. Right. And against one of the better grapplers and back takers in the division, he went out and was 
you know, submission hunting off of his back, which is vintage Anthony Pettis. You know, he was striking basics with some flash. I mean, this was Anthony Showtime Pettis. And a lot of it sort of dovetails with what you said in the main event challenge last week, that skill for skill, this is a guy that still stacks up with the elite at 155. And when he lets it go and doesn't perseverate over the takedown coming back, um, he can beat a lot of the top guys, Kiesa included. Yeah, and, and for Kiesa, you know, he hasn't really developed as a striker. You know, he's still been the same guy with the exact same style, uh, and, and that is his strength, and that is a style that has given Anthony Pettis a lot of problems. But this, to me, seemed like a passionate Anthony Pettis. It seemed yeah. like he really wanted to be in there, and he was able to be his creative self. Um, you have to know yourself in this fight game, and you have to balance out adding tools to your game, uh, but also knowing what kind of style suits you best. And I think for Anthony, um, you know, that discovery process maybe got a little out of hand, and I could absolutely relate to that um, as a fighter. Sometimes you kind of you go off on a tangent, and you think this is going to be good for you, and you start listening to all these coaches around you, or one coach in particular, yeah. you think this is how you got to fight. Um, and that might suit you for a, for a period of time in your career but maybe not later and it's it was unfortunate you know but to see Anthony Pettis and see how he came back against a very tough Michael Chiesa uh, was really impressive and and I agree um you know I don't know if this is a, a vintage Anthony Pettis or a new Anthony Pettis but whatever it was it was Anthony Pettis being creative on his feet uh hurting his opponent on the feet and finishing him off on the mat uh it was a spectacular performance and again just talking to him after the fight uh, it, it seems like this is how he is going to be moving forward, entertaining, going back to that entertaining style uh, and, and doing it all the way back uh, to another title shot. And for Michael Chiesa, I mean, this is a tough one to swallow. He was waiting for that high-profile high name opponent, got it, and didn't do much with it. Missed weight beforehand, likely moving up to welterweight. I know there were some rumblings that maybe there was an injury that prevented him from cutting uh, some of that weight, but... You know, wagging his finger in the face of one of the greatest strikers in UFC history and paid for it shortly thereafter. Any parallel to be drawn between you and Anthony Pettis? I mean, I know when you were fighting Gray Maynard, and if I'm reaching, I'm reaching, yep. you felt like you're a better striker than Gray Maynard every day of the week. You had hired Sean Gray, I believe, as your wrestling coach. I mean, do you feel like you were overly focused on stopping the takedown going in that night, or or is that a reach? On well, well, that was actually prior to uh, before I hired you Sean hired Sean Gray. yeah okay. so I wasn't wrestling much at all but regardless of that yeah I was absolutely over analyzing the whole situation and it was frustrating because every time I came forward he moved back and, and he really didn't want to want to engage uh, which forced me to eventually come forward and then I'd get taken down at the end of the round and he would steal that round it was just it, it was really annoying and um yeah, I mean, sometimes you can think about things w way too much or you integrate things. You start listening to certain coaches and what you should be doing. And, yeah, it can go wrong very quickly. So just balancing that of what you're supposed to be doing for each camp against what fighter, and it's a very difficult thing uh, in, in this game. And, and uh, you know, that's why you need the best people around you. Uh, but you also need to know yourself and listen to your intuition the best that you can. So, um, again, I can absolutely relate to that. And that fight against Gray Maynard was was one of those frustrating ones. I mean, there are a lot of instances in Anthony Pettis's career, and I think he has seven UFC losses. There are a lot of instances if you go back and watch film where instead of submission hunting off of his back, he's tr just trying to get up, right? Yeah. And because I think in modern day mixed martial arts, we're so trained that if you're fighting off of your back, you're not winning a round. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know. I mean, I, 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 we'll see how it goes for Pettis moving forward. But this was pretty enlightening to talk to a fighter, right? He had this whole spiel, Kenny, back in April when this fight was supposed to go down and didn't. Uh, and then he had the, the successive training on top of that back-to-back training camps. I thought this was a huge result for Anthony yeah. Showtime Pettis that at times has really, really had his back up against the wall. Uh, how about this Mike Perry-Paul Felder fight? You got to feel for Paul Felder that there was no bonus money attached to this thing, but I think the bigger story is Platinum Mike Perry and his evolution. He's only 26 years old. This guy had two straight losses coming in and, and knew he needed to make some changes. I thought it was a close fight, but I thought the guy, uh, the right guy won. I thought the right guy won as well. Um, obviously, Paul Felder uh, injuring his arm like that in the fight was, was awful for him, very difficult uh, to be able to do that in any fight, let alone against a hard-hitting fighter like Mike Perry. Um, but we got to give credit to Mike Perry. This was a different Mike Perry who used uh, some weapons that we haven't quite seen before. He was way more diverse in his attack. I thought he was a little bit smarter in his approach as well. Uh, man, is he dangerous in the clinch. I mean, Felder, I, that's where I thought Felder would be a little bit more dangerous, but it was uh, really Mike Perry with those elbows that were just nasty. Uh, yeah. And he was throwing kicks from the outside as well. So uh, he was moving his head. He was fainting his way in. Um, and, and once again, you know, we have a fighter who has kind of reinvented himself after going to Greg Jackson uh, and Mike Winklejohn. Um, that's kind of the place to go to, to reinvent yourself. We saw that with Alistair Overeem, Andre Arlovsky. Right. Diego Sanchez ended up going back to his original team to kind of reinvent himself a little bit. So uh, it was good to see. And I think Mike Perry made the right choice here. Uh, and um, I'm interested to see what he does moving forward and if he can kind of add uh, to that arsenal of skill. And, you know, what's interesting is that he is leaving Albuquerque, New Mexico now. He is moving to Las Vegas. He's going to buy a house in Las Vegas. He's hoping to convince Frank Lester to move there with him because of all the people he connected with at Jackson Wink, Frank Lester was really the guy, uh, his primary pad holder, and the guy that he feels like he needs with him every day in training. And if Frank doesn't go, maybe he ends up buying a house in Albuquerque. But he's got his his nickname, Platinum Tattooed, above his eyebrow. I think he wants to be in Las Vegas, right, and uh, and not necessarily Albuquerque, New Mexico. But it'll be interesting if he, if he still is cornered by Jackson and Wink. But, again, this is a guy who, who's got a nice little fan base, and he's certainly got a fan uh, or two fans in us. So good on Platinum Mike Perry. And for Paul Felder, Kenny, I, I haven't spoken with him yet, but I think he'll probably move back down to 155 pounds. Yeah. I think the tricky thing here is that that there's going to be some time to heal, and I know he's got several dates on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series and some com- commentary gigs coming up. But you know, if this ends up keeping him out for the balance of 2018, um, then this year will sort of be a lost year when it comes to lightweight contention for Paul Felder. And uh, the, these are things fighters have to deal with. But when when you think about the totality of Saturday night. Um, it, it wasn't a good night, ultimately, for the Irish Dragon. Listen, it's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, this is not in his weight class uh, that he trained for. He was obviously getting ready for James Vick at 155 pounds. Paul Felder, a huge lightweight, uh, probably a welcome change on, on fight week, not having to cut all that weight. But, yep. um, you know, you, you saw the power of Mike Perry, man, his ability to, to hit those takedowns and, um, you know, I think Felder is probably better suited at 155 pounds or, you know, either that. He stays at welterweight and and decides to kind of add a little bit more uh, muscle uh, on his frame. But, uh, yeah, this was a tough one. This is a tough one. Paul Felder trying to establish himself as one of the elite lightweights, having to take this fight at at 170, show what kind of fighter he is. Um, 
you know, dealing with that that arm injury. But more than anything else, I, I would have liked to have seen him stick to his fundamentals a little bit more. I, I You know, the spinning stuff, it seemed like he was panicking yep. a little bit at times yeah. during that fight. Um, but, uh, again, this is this is the, you know, this is a game of learning in here and, and a game of knowledge. And uh, you make your mistakes, you learn from it. And I'm sure Paul Felder will be back uh, that much stronger. And Duke Rufus was sort of intimating that as well, saying, you know, I need singles, not home runs. I know you're compromising. And more combinations injured, as well. But yes. More combinations as well, not single shots. So uh, a couple other names before we quickly touch on Max Holloway and Brian T. City Ortega. Khalil Roundtree Jr. with a big win, Man. a slight underdog against Gokhan Saki. That was on the main card. And Paolo Costa at middleweight against a very game and, and ready-to-win Uriah Hall. Uh, produced another big win, and, and shortly thereafter called out our buddy Chris Weidman. Your thoughts on Roundtree Jr. and and Paulo Costa and what they were able to accomplish at, at 185 and 205, respectively. Yeah, let's talk about Round, Roundtree first of all. Uh, phenomenal performance. Man, is he fast. Man, is he explosive. Uh, landed the better shots, looked like the better striker, and got the knockout over a legendary kickboxer in Go Kansaki. Um, I, I tweeted about this, but uh, trainers fighters uh coaches whatever you are uh big difference between boxing gloves and mixed martial arts gloves like the fact that guys don't get that and the fact that uh trainers aren't really um making those adjustments in how they train their fighters is just it's mind-boggling um you cannot get away with just keeping your gloves up and doing this and thinking that you're going to block those shots or those little four ounce gloves are going to roll off your forearms you also can't just stay in the pocket and, and expect to not get hit there you need to use way more footwork in mixed martial arts than you do in kickboxing you can get a little lazy in kickboxing you got bigger gloves to protect your head uh protect your chin uh, you can't do that in mixed martial arts. And I think, I, I truly believe the footwork is much better uh, in, in mixed martial arts. It should be right. much better in mixed martial arts than it is in kickboxing. And uh, for a guy like Gokan Saki to go in there and just kind of trade and stay there and not move his feet and just right. kind of cover up like a traditional boxer or kickboxer, um, it, it, was a, it was a hard lesson. It was a hard lesson. Yeah. Khalil Roundtree made him pay for that. And... Uh, Man, it was good to see Roundtree, a good guy like Roundtree. Uh, exactly. get the win. I would agree with that. Yep, yeah. and I told him as much after the fact. And maybe you can say it's borderline inexcusable when it comes to Gokan Saki because it's not as though he hasn't carved out the time to try to make this MMA transition a successful one. But perhaps this was the learning lesson that he needs to to really take that requisite next step. All right, final thing on Max Holloway and Brian T. City Ortega. Obviously, Max Holloway was hospitalized not once but twice. Ultimately, this fight went away. Now, Michael Bisping, in your interview on UFC tonight, seemed alerted to the fact that Holloway wasn't all there. So I just want to get your thoughts initially on on that interview and Holloway clearly not being all there and ultimately the right decision the promotion went with to make sure that no more weight was cut and that this fight uh, would happen at a later date. Yeah, I mean, any anybody with a set of eyes would have been able to tell that something was not right with Max Holloway. And, uh, you know, Mike was actually over in the corner. I don't know if he was getting mic'd up or do, doing something. And as he walked over, I kind of whispered to him. I said, did Max just get up? I said, is he all right? You know, I kind yeah. of whispered to him. And he's like, what do you mean? And he went over and he's like, oh, my God, yeah, I think something's wrong. And we were kind of talking off camera that he just didn't look right. His eyes were uh, looked like he just got up um, or he hit about, you know, did a big bong hit before he got up there. Obviously, that was <laughs> not that was not <laughs> that was not the case. Um, and we, we were both really concerned about it. Um, 
honestly, I, I'm not sure I would have asked him about it on camera. Uh, I didn't want to kind of blow up his spot. And, and Michael, of course, never afraid to ask the question and, right. and ask the hard question, um, as he should have, uh, honestly. And, and uh, you know, kudos to Mike for, for asking, asking uh, Max Holloway what was up. And I think Max Holloway actually really appreciated that. I know that they kind of went back and forth. Hopefully I'm not saying anything I'm not supposed to. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think for Max, hearing someone outside of his camp um, say, hey, you don't look quite right or you don't sound like how you're used to sounding, um, I think was a big wake-up call for him um, and got him to realize, hey, this is noticeable here. You know, maybe I should, you know, think about not maybe not taking this fight. But he would have had a choice either way. The medical staff obviously got involved, uh, and he did not take that fight, which was obviously the right decision. Um, and we we want to be as healthy as possible heading into a fight like that, and to show, um, you know, some symptoms of a concussion that is serious business. Um, yep. you, you can't mess around. Um, and uh, I just hope that Max makes a, a full and speedy recovery. Uh, one of the greatest champions that we have had the witness of, of watching. And, and Max, Max is a, a real martial artist and a real fighter and, and uh, hope to see him back in there as soon as possible. Now, we don't know if he was concussed in training. We do know he has the best nutrition guys in the game. Tyler Mitten is a fixture on this show, has been over the last couple months. Um, but we spoke last week that, Kenny, you and I thought this would be his last fight at featherweight, and right. I wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of vacate this title or have the promotion sort of push him in that direction, and maybe he moves up and, and is one win away from a UFC lightweight title shot. But I just don't know how long he is for 145 pounds, and it's hard for me to believe even though we are told that the weight had nothing to do with this. It's a little bit hard for me to believe that it wasn't a factor in some capacity. And very quickly before we spin this to the Boise picks, I just want to say for Brian T. City Ortega, this was a very difficult thing to deal with, right? Because I don't know financially if he was compensated, but I do know that he was hurt by the whole process. He wasn't going to take on somebody like Jeremy Stevens on 48 hours notice. It just doesn't make sense off the Frankie Edgar win to put himself in that type of position. He's earned a shot at the undisputed championship and it didn't make sense for Brian Ortega's career. This is a guy who fought Tiago Tavares on short notice, knocked out Frankie Edgar on short notice. And I think he was frustrated that certain people didn't respect that decision. Um, but ultimately for Brian Ortega, his next fight is whether it's Max Holloway or not, is going to be for the undisputed UFC featherweight championship. And I'd, I'd like to see some fans sort of respect the decision and understand. I mean, Ortega had 100 friends and family there. They had basically rented out an entire, you know, casino hotel. Um, it's not easy on anyone, at least of which was Brian Ortega this weekend. It made zero sense. It made zero sense for Brian Ortega to fight anybody else but Max Holloway. I, I mean, it, that's just, that's an easy answer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm sure the UFC wanted, you know, the fans to just see Brian Ortega fight. But uh, I don't think that's the way to do it. And no disrespect to Jeremy Stevens. He's a phenomenal fighter. I would love to see that fight at some point. But at that 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 fight was not to be made on Saturday night. I didn't think it made a hell of a lot of sense. Right. 
And no disrespect to Israel Adesanya. We ran out of time to talk about his win over Brad Tavares. Maybe we'll get to it later in the show on the way out. Um, UFC Boise is this weekend. First, though, this from Simply Safe. You know, there are a lot of things to love about Simply Safe. For me, if you know anything about me, it's all about details. And these guys really obsess over the details. It's why the alarm system really is so good. I know there's not a broken window in your home right now, Ken Flo, but a typical glass break sensor can get fooled with a false positive. You drop a plate, Ken flows babies crying simply safe though has a glass break test facility 10,000 simulations to refine the technology which can now differentiate between me breaking a plate and somebody breaking a window to get into your house. Simply Safe system is designed so as not to be noticed. It's easy, it's intuitive. No contract either. They're constantly working to earn your business. 24/7 monitoring with police and fire dispatch as well and all for just $15 a month. It is the best round-the-clock protection you can find. So protect your home today. Visit simplysafe.com/anic now. simplysafecom anic That's simplysafe.com/anic. Simplysafe.com/anic. All right, let's get to the picks in the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so Team Anik led at 79-66 going into UFC 226. Strong week for Team Florian. Got the better of my two-headed monster, Robbie Fox and Claudia Peterson. Barely, though. Flo takes the week 7-6. Swing fights. Roundtree, Saki. Pettis, Chiesa. It is down to a 12-point lead, 85-73, going into UFC Boise. With us today, Anakin Florian podcast listener. He has his own podcast on Civilized MMA. Ben Field is with us. Ben, how are you, man? Man, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Long time no see. Yes, I saw Ben and met Ben in Utica, New York, and he's a good man, and he's a young father like Ken Flo. So we're happy to have you on today, man. First jaunt to Boise, Idaho for the MMA leader this weekend. We'll start with the first fight on the main card. So no betting line as yet on a lot of these. We'll, we'll cover that up later in the week. I expect close to a pick em here. Kat Zingano, Marion Renault. Ben, who do you like, Zingano or Renault? I'm liking Zingano for this fight. I mean, she just got the experience. Um, I mean, I know uh, Marion Renault's got one more fight than her, um, but I like I like Zingano for this one. I mean, she's had that top-level experience uh, in the UFC for a while now, and I think she's going to take the fight. So, Ken Flo, quickest turnaround of Kat Zingano's career. I think that's actually a good sign. She's dealt with a lot of injuries, other adversities. She fought Ketlin Vieta March 3rd. Was her third straight loss, but I like the fact that she's turning around quickly here. Marion Renault is 41 years old, uh, but she is unbeaten since before she even turned 40, February 2016, and she's coming off a submission win over Sarah McMahon flow. That was back in February. Who do you like, Kat Zingano or Marion Renault? Listen, I think Marion Renault has more ways to win this fight. I think she's the more technical fighter. I think she's sharper on the ground. I think Zingano's probably a little bit stronger. Um, and she can kind of bully her way and be effective early on. But I think if Marion Renault is in the right mind space, I think she wins this fight. I'm going with Renault. And Ken Flo age discriminates in reverse. He That's discriminates right. against the younger fighters. If you're 40 years old or higher, he's picking you to win the fight. I get it. <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah, I'm in Ken that Flo, club right I, now I, I as well. I disagree, man. Yeah, my, it, my, it would be interesting. Get fucked up in the, the third, man. I'm telling you, third round TKO. All right, we'll see. Uh, featherweight, Ben, who do you like, Dennis Bermudez or Rick Glenn? Dennis Bermudez, I see, the thing with him is he's really got a lot of skill and a lot of 
he's a very technical fighter, but when he gets his when he gets too cocky, he really lets all of that go. And that's how you're seeing he's on this this three fight skid right now. I think if he gets in there and he sticks to his game plan and he, he doesn't get a big head, he can get it done. Ken Flo, we're proceeding as if Bermudez will likely be the favorite against Rick the Gladiator. Glenn, I wouldn't figure it would be too wide. Uh, your thoughts on this one at 145 pounds? Yeah, I think Bermudez should win this fight. Um, uh, Rick Glenn, I don't know if he's really much of a threat uh, to Bermudez anywhere. Uh, not really the, the biggest puncher. He is a high-output op- fighter, stays yep. very busy, likes to pressure guys, but I think Bermudez does that as well, and he'll be able to uh, diffuse that pressure with some takedowns. All right, Chad Mendez makes his triumphant return. He hasn't competed in mixed martial arts since late 2015. That was a loss to Frankie Edgar. So two-year suspension, it was some sort of hormone. I don't remember exactly what it was, but Mendez said he didn't know it was illegal, didn't do his homework, he paid for it. Here in the return, he draws Miles Jury. Mendez will be the favorite here. Not sure exactly what the number will be. That's at least my expectation. Ben, who do you like, Chad Mendez or Miles like- Jury? I'm really liking Mendez, man. He, he, I'm, he's competed at the top of his division for a while. It was actually a GHRP six, a growth there hormone that he tested positive for. Um, and you know, he, he fought McGregor. He looked decent in that fight until he got his ass beat. Um, I mean, he, his last win was knocking Ricardo Lamas out. Before that, it was Nick Lentz by decision. I'm really liking Mendez for this fight. You know, I'm hope I want to see him come back and and pretty much pound this man's head through the damn canvas like he's done before how about ben fields all over it with the exact name of the hormone ghrp6 uh, is illegal is that what you're saying i, I, I didn't I, oh i didn't know that either I, shit that's brock lesnar ghrp6 uh oh what about seven G- ghrp what about ghrp8 is that illegal because i didn't know that wow all right uh, not illegal for broadcasters, I'll tell God. you that. So Ben gotcha. seems pretty convicted in thinking that Chad Mendez uh, is going to get this done in his return, Ken Flo. Are you of a similar mind? Yeah, I think this is a kind of fight that can give uh, Miles Jury a lot of trouble. Uh, Chad Mendez has fought the elite in that division. Um, you know, if this is the Chad Mendez that uh, we're used to seeing, uh, I see Chad winning this fight. All right, co-main event, guys, was to be James Vick versus Paul Felder. Instead, it will be Super Sage Northcutt, minus 145 favorite here against Zach the Barbarian Otto. He comes back at plus 115. So, Ben Northcutt returning here to welterweight after two straight at lightweight. Both of them wins. Um, Do you like Super Sage against Zach Otto? I like Zach Otto in this fight. I mean, watching what he did to Mike Pyle, I'm telling you, it was, to me, it was like watching Ngano, I mean, not to to hype him up after that embarrassing performance uh, Saturday, but it was like watching Ngano knock out over him for me. Um, and even his decisions, the split decision that he had, uh, two, I think it was his fight before that, he still he looks impressive in all of his UFC outings, win or loss. Um, so I'm going to go with Zach Otto on this. And plus, Super Sage Northcutt just looks like a tool. Yeah. I can't. I, I just I have a big issue rooting for him in any fight. Ken Flo, Zach Otto has alternated wins and losses in his five UFC appearances. Slight dog here against Super Sage Northcutt. I think this is the right division for Sage Northcutt. His natural one at 170 pounds. Of course, if there isn't 
a 165-pound division. Um, what do you think about Northcutt here in Otto this weekend? Well, you know, I'm not sure picking someone has to do with rooting for them or not, but uh, I'm going to go with Sage Northcutt. I have a, I have a hard time uh, believing that Zach Otto, who lost to Lee Jing Leung uh, by TKO, is going to beat Sage at this point. I, I don't know. Uh, and, and a guy who had a, uh, a split decision win over Sergio Moraes, um, I don't know if he's going to be able to take him down. If Zach can take him down, uh, listen, I, I think Zach could win this fight, but um, Sage has, has shown some pretty good takedown defense. Um, I, I think Sage wins this. I do think that'll be the approach for Zach Otto is to try to use his jiu-jitsu uh, and catch a submission on the ground. All right, main event, Junior Dos Santos minus 170, taking on the UFC newcomer Blagoy Ivanov, who comes back at plus 140. Main event here, Ben, so we will need the round and the method of victory. You like the former champ, JDS, or Blagoy Ivanov? I am not a fan of JDS. I um, I mean, he's a very, very talented fighter, and I, I you know, I'd be a smart man to bet on him. But I'm going with uh, Ivanov here. I mean, how do you go against somebody that's been fucking stabbed and, and, and come back from that and still just say, all right, you know, I'm going to go back into this, uh, this field where I kick people's ass, you know, after I've been stabbed literally in the heart. The, the knife went into this man's heart, wasn't in the hospital for very long, and goes back to beating people's ass. Uh, made a name for himself in another promotion, two other uh, promotions, and uh, finally getting a shot in, in the UFC, and I think it's well-deserved, and I think we're going to see him come out, uh, come out on top here and a very big uh, opportunity for him. All right, even on plus 140. Uh, so uh, what's say, the round of the method, Ben? I'm going to say it's going to be round four knockout. Round four TKO or knockout for Blagoy Ivanov. Ken, for a little background on the UFC newcomer Ivanov, 16-1 and one with a no contest. The no contest came early on in his career in Bulgaria against Alir Latifi. The ring broke 55 seconds into the fight. And then his only loss, Alexander Volkov by submission, so that's a high-quality loss. As for his quality wins, Rico Rodriguez, Sean Jordan, uh, and most recently, I believe, actually it was Jordan after this one, but Cuddly Bear, Josh Copeland also among his victims. Uh, Ivanov, Junior Dos Santos in Idaho. Ken Flo, which way are you going? I'm going to go with Junior Dos Santos here. I think Junior, Junior gets the win. Uh, let's go knockout round one. All right, round one knockout for Junior Dos Santos. And I'm doing a quick pick on one final fight because this is a big fight at featherweight. And I know it's a prelim, but can we get some love for Darren the Damage Elkins, please? He's won six fights in a row. He's number 10 in the world. And your reward, he draws the unranked 17-1 Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, who's won like a million fights in a row. Um, no betting line as yet, Ben. Who's the quick pick for you, Elkins or Volkanovsky? After the way he put Michael Johnson away with that rear naked choke being only a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Darren Elkins has my pick. I, I can't bet against him. Can't flow. Darren Elkins has never turned down a fight in his life, and that's why he signed on the dotted line for Volkanovski. I mean, not a ton of upside here, I guess. Although, he's fighting a guy who's 17-1 and one and has some momentum, but uh, nothing easy about this fight, at least in my opinion, for Darren Elkins this weekend. Darren, the damage, Elkins. Uh, I'm a fan, man, but... Uh, I don't like the way he matches up here against Volkanovski. Um, you know, I, I see uh, a kind of a, a similar style to a Bektik. He might even be uh, more of a pressure fighter than Bektik, so I'm going to yeah. go with uh, Volkanovski. You're absolutely right. One of the better pressure fighters that nobody seems to know, unless you're in Macedonia, Alexander Volkanovsky, trying to go to 18-1 and one this weekend. All right, Ben Field, his own podcast, Uncivilized MMA, and that's a good man right there. Uh, thanks for... The time today. Thanks for hooking it up in Utica, New York, yeah, buddy. Man. And we'll probably see it as show in the Northeast later this year. All right. 
Yeah, uh, real quick before I go, um, tell any fans that are interested in checking out the podcast, the uh, thing that makes us unique is we uh, we have a text line for any of you U.S.-based fans. You can get at us, uh, 315-922-2384. That's actually my personal cell phone number, and I love wow. shooting shit with you guys 24-7. Shoot me some text, guys. We'll get some of your favorite fighters on there, and you can interact. Guys, it was an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'd like to extend an invitation to you guys to come out and tear it up with us anytime. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. Ben. ben Fields, appreciate it. Ken Flo's available 24-7. His cell phone number is not going to be given out on today's program mine. like yours, but maybe on a future episode. Maybe we'll throw oh, an episode man. behind a paywall, Ken Flo, yeah. and throw out that 508. Kenny and I both have 508 numbers. If you can figure out the last seven, God love you. God love Israel Adesanya, right? I mean, Dude. I'm all in. Right? I'm not going to buy the good C-U-N-T t-shirt necessarily because I really don't like that right. word. But I'm all in on Israel Adesanya, Ken Flo. You were all in on this guy, I think, before he made his UFC debut. But there are so many things to like about this performance. 25 hard minutes. Looked like he could have gone 40. Um, versatile display of striking. And the thing, too, is – and, you know, I – I didn't I didn't put too much stock into his takedown defense against Rob Wilkinson, right. but I think people just act like this guy's so easy to take down and the Brad Tavares was just gonna take him down. I mean, the guy stuffed fourteen shots in his UFC debut when his opponent was shooting his at his legs the entire fight. So um it, you could be sure Adesanya's doing his homework and working hard to stay upright and not spend a lot of time once he does get taken down. But the takedown attempts that were successful for Tavares were were few and far between and and Adesanya, to me, looks pretty much world-class on the feet. I'm very excited to see how far he can take this. He, he is world-class on the feet. Uh, Adesanya showed that he's at a completely different level. And he did this against a Brad Tavares, who was on a four-fight win streak. And, and it was against tough guys like Jotko and Talis Leches. Uh, Tavares is legit, man. You beat a guy like Tavares, and you prove that you're the real deal. And Adesanya absolutely did that. Um, there were times where it almost seemed like a mismatch. And, and, and Tavares is ranked in that division. So yeah. uh, Adesanya um, really blew me away with his performance, uh, proved to anyone who was doubting whether he was the real deal or not that uh, they were wrong. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this guy is showing some next-level striking and next-level movement. All right, before we go, just want to say one thing as we sort of congratulate Daniel Cormier on the way out. You know, there was a picture of me with my arms in the air Great and picture. Daniel's arms in the air. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, I, I just want to say uh, for anyone suggesting that, that there was something not objective about that or some bias involved here, I would say two things. First of all, I would say Marlon Marais knocked out Jimmy Rivera June 1st in Utica, New York. I had the exact same reaction, right? I have a, a much stronger personal relationship with Jimmy Rivera than Marlon Marais, who I just met recently, okay? So there's that for starters. But let's also not forget, right, when Stipe won the title in 2016, we didn't air it on the podcast, but our podcast called the mayor's office in Cleveland, Ohio, and tried to get Stipe a championship parade. Right. We have championed his cause for years and years and years. My reaction was about the moment and Daniel's moment and – an organic reaction from a play-by-play -play broadcaster. It had nothing to do with the fact that he, he's a dear friend and a broadcast partner. It's so silly. No, and you've, again, yeah, you've done that so many times during fights, and obviously you put it up there. Um, you work with DC, but just the fact that they had that picture of you standing up being like, oh, my God, with DC oh. kind of doing it at the same time. How, how, how would you not put that picture up? That picture is freaking epic. It's amazing, um, and... Yeah, that, that, that's just silly. And you see, of course, and I'm sweating too, right? Running hot as usual, 
pit stains. You can right. see the love handles a little bit. Not my best look, but, uh, you know, at least it wasn't Francis Ngannou in me, right? At least it was That's Cormier. Right. So we're both right. a little chubby. What are you going to do? Uh, all right, good stuff today. Thank you to Ray Longo. Thanks to our fine producers, John Hill, Jeff Williams. Nice to meet our man, Jeff Williams, in Vegas, by the way. Uh, Alyssa Green as well. May Rocky BJJ. <laughs> 11677 Santa Monica Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. Call them now, 424-292-8280. Tell them the Anakin Florian podcast sent you. Yes. Ask them what they can do for you, right? Right. I mean, let, call 424-292-8280 and ask them what they can do for you because you listen to the Anakin Florian podcast. By the way, we asked Ray Longo, Kenny, if yes. he – if, if somebody just walks into Longo Wyman MMA, they can meet him. So if somebody walks into Meiraki Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu today, I know if you're teaching class, I mean, this is a respectful atmosphere. It's a I'm Zen there all atmosphere. the time. So I'm if they want to meet the you, they can. I Absolutely. Mean, 11 Santa Monica Boulevard. All right, I'm going to come in. I'm going to have you sign a bunch of stuff. No, I'm just <laughs> um, Well, I'm going to be in L.A. for a week. So we are going to do an in-studio episode July yes. 30th. And that's going to be very exciting. I'm going to rent a car so I can come see True. I love it. Um, see how I'm inviting myself to I'm his excited. house. I'm excited. You know you have the invite. On radio. All right. Well, good stuff today. Thanks to everybody for listening, for subscribing. We're back on Monday, July 16th. We will recap Boise and, and look ahead to Hamburg, Germany, because the UFC hits keep on coming. Congrats to the man, the new king of the world, Daniel Cormier. For Ken Flom, John Anik, until next week. Yo fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.